Hello, and welcome to our Leadership for Change lecture. My name is Daniel, and I'll be your host today, along with my team, Hilma, Isabel, Susanna, Yedra, Yulia, and Natalie. We are all first-year students in the Leadership for Change Master's program at Dampa University and come from different tracks of business, governance, and politics. So our goal for these Leadership for Change lectures is to hear from skillful leaders with experience in dealing with change who can help us to explore what kind of knowledge and expertise is needed to explain and understand complex phenomena, become a visionary leader, and to change the world. We're glad to host this event with our guest speaker, Anna Lottery who is the VP of Sustainability at Finair. She contributes to the company's goal of cutting in half their 2019 level of net emissions by the end of 2025 and being carbon neutral at the latest by 2045. She also has a strong experience of working with business sustainability as she has worked as a VP of Sustainability at Telia and as Head of Sustainability at Nokia Networks as well. Anna is also an alumna of Tampa University. So we are excited to hear from, um, hear from Anne and discuss with her on topics such as her career story, what sustainability looks like at Finair, what challenges come with initiating sustainability, how Finair has managed during the COVID-19 situation, and more. And after Anne's presentation, we'll have a discussion time with her. We're looking forward to hearing your questions, so please think of your questions you have for Anne. And we'll be looking over these questions and selecting some to ask to her. We'll be using Zoom's Q&A tool instead of the chat for questions. So you can post your questions with the Q&A tool, as you can see, and you can do so anonymous, anonymously if you like. You can also upvote and comment on other, others' questions. And so keep an eye on this Q&A box, and maybe you can get ideas from others' questions and upvote any questions you would like to see answered. We'll be recording the lecture and later on hopefully posting it to our Leadership for Change blog. All right, so. Thank you, Anne, for being here today, and please take it away. Thank you, Daniel. This is, um, this is exciting. I was really looking forward to actually being in Tampere when we first started discussing, discussing this opportunity just to, uh, just to visit my, my old university, but, um, but here we go. Uh, things need to be a little bit different now, but, uh, but I hope we're, we're going to have a, a lively discussion Nevertheless, um, like like Daniel said, I'm gonna I'm gonna be talking uh, about um, sustainability. Sort of few words about how I see sustainability. Um, then to to make it a bit more pragmatic, practical, uh, talk about what we do at at Finnair, and then finally um, finally talk a little bit about the pandemic and and what happens when such crisis hits. What are the learnings actually you can you can get from from a situation like uh, like we have at the moment? Uh, in terms of um, introduction, Odalia said and and um, requested earlier to to talk a little bit about um, my career story as well. So so I thought that let's let's get that out of the way first. So uh, yes, I studied in in Tampere. I studied marketing. I studied um, economics. Somebody asked me quite recently that weren't you interested in sustainability? Then why didn't you start? Why didn't you study that? But uh, that was that was <laughs> quite a long time ago. So there was no way to to study sustainability really as as a topic. There were some some classes, yes, that um, that were close to it, and and obviously people were were already paying attention to to sustainability. But in in terms of really focusing on it in my studies, I, that 
yeah, that wasn't uh, really a possibility. I was always really interested in sort of environmental matters. It was very, very important for me as well as sort of social justice and, and so on. But then I also was interested in business and it, I just didn't see a way to put these two together. So then I decided that, okay, I'm, I'm gonna take the business track and, and see if, uh, if that is something that makes me happy. And, and it did. I, I did uh, quite a few years uh, working on marketing, working on business development, working on strategy. And then um, when I was, um, I was working with Nokia and we were really concentrating on the markets in, in Africa and, and Southeast Asia. And I traveled quite a bit in those countries. And then one day I just really realized that what we're doing here, that is really creating social change. I saw a lot of um, lot of sort of uh, people that were maybe surprised by the fact that uh, no matter how much foreign aid you pour into a company, the the result is not always one on one. There's a lot of there's a lot of sort of um, lot of sort of um, idle in there that takes a lot of energy, takes a lot of money, and doesn't always take things forward. Um, whereas bringing business into the country typically starts off this snowball process of, of creating, uh, creating wealth, creating jobs and, and so on. So as a very, very sort of simple example of this, um, one thing that we saw in a, in a small village in at Manokia times was uh, there was this guy who was a painter. So not an artist painter, but uh, painted houses. So the way that he solicited for business was that he was hanging out outside of a, a paint store. So whenever he saw somebody going in to buy paints or coming out with cans of paint, he, he went and talked to them and said that, hey, I can, I can do that for you, hire me. And he had, a, he had a good business going, but his business was that while he was painting a house, nobody was soliciting for business. And the simple thing, when there was finally mobile coverage in the village and he had the cheapest possible mobile phone, he could make a little sign that gave his phone number, put it on the wall of the, of the paint shop and now he could be out painting and still he had his little advertising on the, on the shop that if you need something painted, please call me. And, and he was telling the story how it completely changed his life and his business and, and he, he was having more work than he could, he could hope for. And, and then I'm sitting there and thinking that this is, this is something that changes people's lives. If I go back home and if I start selling the, the next mobile phone and the next mobile phone and the new features and, and, and trying to tell people the story, how this is so important, I didn't believe in it. But I saw here that, okay, now when this person buys this phone, it actually makes a change. And then I, they came back and, and Nokia being a, a big company at that, at that point, well, still they are a big company. Uh, it is also a very sort of forward looking company. It's a very brave company and it gives a lot of opportunities for people. So I came back from, um, from Kenya. I walked to my boss and I said that, you know, I, I want to do now something different. And this, this is where I want to work in. And, and they were like, yeah, okay. Well, if that's what you want, that's what you need to try. So then I started working on um, first uh, a lot on sort of bringing affordable communications to people, uh, sort of that uh, social impact type of work, impact innovation. Um, then I um, 
Then I sort of slipped on the environmental side because we were often building mobile networks outside of the, um, the electricity grid. So they had to be somehow powered. And instead of, um, instead of uh, running trucks around the, the country, bringing diesel to the, to the sites, we started working with uh, solar power and wind power. And, and that was another thing that was hugely exciting for me. So then I worked, uh, worked on that and, and it just sort of broadened the, the portfolio broadened and I, I feel almost like I grew up with it at the same time as sustainability as a, as a discipline within companies grew up. So I learned new things and, and sort of grew the role that way. Um, so after Nokia, then I did, um, I did a, a big change for, for family reasons. I wanted, to, I wanted to travel less. So then I, um, I moved to different industry and I worked at um, the Finnish Ski Area Association as the managing director of, of that. So basically it is an organization for all the ski, Finnish ski areas and, and ski schools. And then when I was starting, um, sort of starting to get ready to, to step into that role, I was of course doing a lot of research on the industry and I was doing research on the, on the member companies. And then we're like, okay, nobody's talking about sustainability. This is fantastic. I'm going to go in and I'm going to teach them all about sustainability. And then when I went in, <clears throat> it took me very little time to realize that these guys are doing it exactly right. They're not talking about sustainability, but they're doing all the right things because it is so embedded in their strategy. I mean, if you think about uh, a ski resort up north, it is typically a big employer in a small village. So you have sort of this inherent need to take care of your, your employees. You see them every day anyway, because you all live in the same, same village. It is, it is extremely important for you that the, that the village is is uh, thriving, so you want to employ people, you want to pay fair uh, wages and, and so on. Um, and then what you sell is, is the clean nature and the white snow. So obviously you're worried about climate change, obviously you're working to, uh, to do anything you can to, uh, to um, fight it. So it was really nice because before we had talked about you know, the corporations were always talking about, yeah, we need to integrate it and, and sustainability is working to make itself uh, redundant and, and it just needs to be at the heart of strategy. But it was more talk at that point. And then when I worked with these ski resorts, I was like, okay, these guys get it. They're doing it. They're not talking about it at all, but they're doing it. So that was a, that was a good, good learning for me as well. Um, after that, I moved to, to Telia, Telia company in, uh, in Sweden. And, um, and worked as, as head of sustainability there. Very sort of different, um, different again from, uh, from the previous. I'll, I'll touch on some of the learnings from there a little bit later. And then uh, moved to Pinner a year and a half ago. And I can tell you that that was a, a weird time to join aviation. So the first six months after I joined, I, I ran like a, a, a mad horse trying to pull the, the sustainability strategy together and our climate targets together. And then we published them on March 5th. And you know very well what happened, <laughs> happened uh, in March. So, you know, we celebrated for two days and after that, it was just about the pandemic and nobody was interested. And I was scared that all the work that we've done would go to waste. Luckily not, but, uh, but we did have that, have that discussion that can we still hold on to our targets even though we're losing 2 million euros a day. 
and we made a, a value-based decision that, yes, we will. That's the kind of company we are. We're still going to be just as sustainable as we were before. We're going to thrive just ambitiously as we did before. And then, you know, not that we're such, you know, good people and, and all holy, but, um, but we also see very clearly that this is something that is going to be a competitive advantage for us. So that's, a, that's a, another key driver why, why we keep on doing it, even though times are beyond tough at the moment. So that's, uh, that's about me. So I'm not in Tampere. I feel bad about it, but I have to show you this. So I'm a few hundred kilometers north from where you guys are. I will show you if I know how, if I can change the slide. Here we go. So I just flew to Kittila yesterday on a very, very special flight that I will, I will talk to you about a little later. So first about sustainability then. So everybody sort of understands it differently and, and there's no right answer anyway. But often when you go to a sustainability conference and you have a, a panel discussion, there's always somebody who raises their hand and say that, so how should we define sustainability? And nobody has an answer to that. There is no really right or wrong answers to that. Um, and, and personally, I don't really care anymore. I, I used a lot of time trying to define it in different ways as well, but, uh, but there was always a better definition or somebody challenging the definition or I just figured that, okay, action is maybe more important. But, but as a picture, this is sort of where it lies. And every company needs to make their decision that where do they want to be on this map of stakeholder expectations and the fit for, for strategy. It depends on the, your company. It depends on, on the corporate culture. It very much depends on, on the industry. And it can be a mix of, so these boxes are not, uh, not mutually exclusive in, in any way. So uh, violations, that's, you know, that's fairly clear, right? It is corruption, forced labor, human rights viola violations, and so on. That's something that, uh, you know, it's very clear. Do not do that. But I put this gray area thing here. And now when I'm looking at it, I should have probably made it broader as well. But um, even the violations are gray area because different countries have different legislation. Uh, and as an international company, you have to make this sort of gray area decisions that are we going to be in compliance of this law or this international treaty or or how do we how do we frame this and typically you take sort of the toughest law and you apply it across uh, across the, the countries but it's not it's not an easy decision always so even though it's it's sort of like okay don't break the law that's very very clear but the law is not always clear so so there's a lot of work um, to be done there as well then compliance is, is almost like the, the opposite of violations. It's like, it's like um, sort of uh, voluntarily complying with, with, um, with the strictest possible laws or with international treaties or with your internal commitments. Once you make a commitment, then the work to reach that is really not sustainability, then it's, it's compliance. When you make your decisions, that is about sustainability. And then, then you just have to execute on that. Uh, responsible business I see as being less bad, if you really simplify it. 
meaning if you think of thin air for example our um, emissions are the part where it kind of lies in this responsible business box so we need to reduce the emissions of our flying being less bad there even this is not always clear cut um, when i entered telia telia was in the middle of a very very serious reputational crisis it was um, blamed for for uh, corruption in um, in uh, Uzbekistan. There were um, there were quite uh, extensive investigations going on. People were people were sort of shying away from Telia. One of the first people that I I met there, who was a long time uh, Telia worker, said that when people ask him where he works, he says in telecommunications. He didn't want to tell that he worked for Telia. The reputation was so bad. The company hadn't broken any laws, but they um, they had broken their own code of conduct and and sort of their own ethical um, ethical uh, considerations. But then then we made the decision that okay, now a responsible thing to do is to leave all these Eurasian countries because we see that that we have done something wrong there. We find it very hard for us to to uh, run an ethical business there because when you enter in a, in a wrong way it's, it's very difficult to to become something else so we figured that okay the most responsible thing to do is to divest and we divested the business in eurasia and then the response was 50 50. some of the people were like yes okay this is a responsible thing to do you focus on the nordic and the baltics and and you leave the countries where you can't do ethical business and then 50% were like, that's like the most irresponsible thing you can do. You should stay there and you should, you should impact the country, country culture. You should impact the society there through doing responsible business there. So yeah, which one is right? I do not know. But at that point, we decided that for us, for our company, it was the right decision was to leave. So again, even that is a gray area being less bad, but what, what is bad? Um, shared value creation, I'm, I'm sure that is very familiar uh, to you as a, as a concept. So, you know, make money while doing good. And this is of course fantastic. And there's increasing demand for products and services in this area, anything from, uh, from food stuff uh, to, to textiles, to experiences and, and so on. And it's, it's a fantastic idea. And when you look at the, the UN Sustainable Development Goals, for example, those are fantastic business opportunities for, for companies. So there's a lot that you can do. So if I, if I go, back, go back to Telia uh, or any telecommunications company, really, their sustainability value is really in shared value creation. They can dematerialize things. So, you know, maybe some people are not very happy about it, but there you go. People listen to the music on Spotify. They don't buy uh, records or, or cassettes or anything like that. That used to be a huge industry with a lot of plastic, with a lot of uh, logistics, a lot of waste. That is practically eliminated by Spotify and, and similar services. Also, people travel less because you can, you can work remotely. 
And again, some people are not happy about that, but there you go. It, it is really from a telecoms operator perspective, the more you sell, the better it is for the climate to, to simplify it closely. But, um, but I, I think there, there's a, a huge and growing market for, for different shared value creation um, um, solutions. And then finally, sort of this, uh, everybody always wants to be on the top right corner. It's sort of the, the advocacy corner. Very few companies are, are really there. It is, it is a risky strategy to be an advocate. It gets political real quick. And, and that's, a, that's a, a risky area for a company to be, but then, you know, strategy is always a risk. So sometimes it is a risk worth taking. I think in a, in a very small way, we're sort of uh, in, we're inching into that by sort of pushing the whole industry by, um, by sort of outdoing, um, outdoing the industry targets, for example, hoping that, uh, will be inspired as well but very very little at Finnair at the moment. The big names there are of course Patagonia. Um, I think uh, in Finland Finlayson is the one that is mostly flirting with that um, that corner. And yeah you can be in in many boxes but typically you can't be on the on the high boxes if you haven't done your work in the in the lower ones. To advocate for for world peace and gender equality and and rights of the, the child if you're you know if you're selling drugs at the schoolyard that doesn't it just doesn't work or um or you can have a beautiful shared value creation offering but then in your value chain you have forced labor or or you have bad working conditions for people it doesn't work that way you always have to sort of build from the ground up and then you leave the operations to some of the lower boxes while you move also higher and that's and that that's the way you work and you don't always have to get to the top right it's it's not necessary for everybody and you look at um look at companies like uh, um well let's take uh let's take alcohol for example very difficult to find the shared value creation there or tobacco even better there isn't really a shared value creation case for, for tobacco. Everybody sort of agrees that, yeah, it's bad. It's bad for people. It's bad for people's health. It destroys the environment. There's, there's, it doesn't have an upside. Even easier to find the upside for alcohol than, than tobacco. Of course, some people enjoy tobacco, but they also enjoy, there are people that enjoy gambling and there are people that enjoy, you know, various different things. And that means that those companies will continue to exist. And and it's just as important that there are strong sustainability strategies in these companies as well. There's no value in moving, well, there's value, but there's the value of moving up on this chart is not as big as the value of being as good as possible to being genius in your box. So if you are a tobacco company, yeah, they should not. Uh, they should not be selling what they sell. But hey, let's be grown-ups. They will. It's not. Uh, it's not going to disappear overnight. So it's important that also those businesses, the harm is as little as possible. And actually, there's a there's a lot of movement now in tobacco companies actually sort of getting this, putting a lot of e effort into into what they do, 
making it as sustainable as possible. And then at the same time, little by little, trying to find the new business models to, to move away from, um, from the harmful business. So when you think, if you're thinking about a career in sustainability, I think you can do great in doing difficult things in challenging companies, or you can do great in doing sort of trailblazing thing in, in uh, good companies both as, as exciting and important. Personally, I like working for challenging companies. I think it's really, really uh, rewarding. So here, this is a wonderful framework. You, you all know this. Um, it, um, um, it has broad companies and, and other stakeholders, a common terminology and, and something that everybody understands and sort of can, can get behind uh, common targets. The important thing is, is here, I think, is the, the balance. We need to understand the difficulty of the balance. So it's great that if you, if you work on number two, you reduce hunger, you're probably going to also have an impact on, on good health and, and well-being. So they're related. But then again, you work on one, reduce poverty and you're probably gonna you're probably gonna make it more difficult for for number 13 climate action the more money people have more they consume worse for the climate so it's not it's not an easy uh, thing to always find that balance and it often falls to uh, companies as well to um, to to find that balance we we don't have that sort of luxury of being a, a one-topic NGO, for example. And don't get me wrong, I think it, it's great that there are NGOs that only focus on one topic, because then they can really, really dig deep and, and there's, um, there's great expertise and understanding being, being created there, and they can really focus on pushing that, that forward. But then, as a company, you have to balance. So if you think of Finnair, for example, Climate Action, fantastic. We were super last year because we flew like 10% of what we know, normally flow. So our emissions were smaller than, than in 50 years or more, but the social and economic cost of that is just not acceptable. We have thousands of people that are furloughed, that are struggling um, financially because of that. Um, we have people that um, in the destination countries that are even worse off with the whole uh, whole sort of situation of tourism practically disappearing overnight and tourism is an industry that typically employs a lot of um, women employs a lot of um, lower level educated people and they're out of jobs and it's not so easy to uh, to just uh, find find uh, new ones so yes, did great on emissions. The impact hasn't, it doesn't really show yet, but, uh, but uh, the, the fact is that the, uh, the emissions were lower, but, uh, but what was the cost? So we need to uh, make sure that we always find that, that balance and, and really understand where we are, um, where we are uh, aiming at. So, when you do strategy, so now moving on to, to Finnair more. So when you do strategy, of course, then, then you can't do everything. So we were looking at the, uh, the SDG, SDG map and we were trying to find 
our um, our company in there. And um, and these are the six um, SDGs that we we found. So number thirteen, climate action, no brainer. That is that is what our stakeholders expect from us, especially investors, uh, our owners. Uh, Finnish um, state being the biggest one. But then, interestingly, on the environmental side, then our customers see sort of a circular economy, recycling as more important than um, than climate change. So when we when we survey them, that is their biggest um, biggest worry because we. Um, you know, when you're sitting on your uh, airplane seat and you get you get your food in front of you, and maybe there is a plastic cup, and that that is something that really really annoys people. Or they see that maybe things are not properly recycled, or they think they're not properly recycled. So that is something that is very close to our our customers' hearts, and probably feels more sort of um, understandable than the megatons and 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 sort of the the whole CO2 um, complex frameworks around that so we're we're working on on both and both are challenging but but uh, by far of course climate um, is is the uh, key for us then on the second slide more on the social side so again number 16 that is, that is our reason of being and that is the the social good that flying and traveling does it is global trade, it is global diplomacy, it is tourism, it is people meeting new people, getting to understand new cultures and, and getting to understand that even though something might look very different, it might feel very different, the people are still very, very similar. I mean, we, we sometimes laugh at uh, certain countries that, you know, when people don't even have passports, no wonder they vote like they do. Well, if we can't travel, then, um, then here we go. Then we are exactly the same. So we need to uh, we need we need that interaction with the world. And aviation is a very very efficient way of doing that. But we just need to do it in the way that doesn't um, doesn't harm the environment. Uh, gender equality, we're pretty okay, but we're not perfect. So we we want to be a lot better still. So um, focusing quite a bit of that. On that as well, and then on the on the um, the lower level, it's almost like the the how to to um, the challenges above, and we see that there needs to be a an increased um, focus on innovation and an increased focus on on partnerships if we if we wish to uh, really deliver on our promises. And then when you look at our strategy it is the whole strategy is called sustainable profitable growth so sustainability is really really in the heart of what we do and i'll i'll show you a, a bit more on that so we're looking at sustainability and our culture as sort of the, the foundation of then delivering on the more operational parts of our business and what i really really like to see and we're not ready here yet so this is a little bit of a it's part reality part dream so this sort of this one elegant line throughout the the company where everybody sort of understands what is being done and and can contribute to it and often you you hear that uh, the most important thing in creating any sustainability program is to have a strong tone from the top 
and we we talked about that a lot and and we were very happy because we had a super vocal um ceo that is very dedicated to sustainability the chairman of the board as well he has been a fantastic um fantastic support on on our journey and when we were making our strategy and this by the way is a big change that has happened during my career so now i sit here and say like yeah the the chairman of the board is is a fantastic support when i started the chairman of the board would not open his door if i wanted to talk to him for sure because nobody really understands that what are these girls doing and it was girls it was always girls and we were called girls there you go but um but this is sort of the sustainability journey as well before we were sort of like doing something yeah tree huggy and now it's it's really at the heart of the strategy and so when we were looking at the the tone from the top and we also discussed the fact that yeah we, we want this to be in our dna and a lot of companies say that yes sustainability is in our dna and i've said it several times i've sat on <laughs> several uh, panels and said for different companies that yes the sustainability is in the dna but then we started thinking that so what does that actually mean what what is dna and and then we realized that the tone from the top and the dna that is actually the articles of association of the company that is the rule that you live by so if you really want to put it at the core of the organization that's where you need to put it and we did that uh, last may and i'm happy to say that we were um we were almost the first i found one company that actually did it first in finland a, a small uh, investment company but we were a first big company in Finland to change its articles of association to include sustainability as well. So in addition to our purpose, as stated in articles of association, not as stated in, in corporate slides, it used to be, you know, flying people and goods from airport to airport, uh, leasing, owning, selling airplanes and so on. But now it also says, that we can engage in other types of activities that increase our positive role and reduce our negative role in the society and to the environment. So it's there. The owners have said it. This is what we expect from you. Then the next step is the board. And the, the board, of course, is there for, for approval and guidance on the sustainability strategy, on the corporate strategy. Uh, then you have the management team that has the ownership of everything. So we don't have a separate um, separate sort of steering team or a subcommittee or whatever on sustainability, but it is part of the, the executive, executive team uh, agenda. Then we do have a sustainability leadership team, which is, uh, which is a, collection of company, a collection of people around the company so that we're trying to cover all the, uh, the key, um, key operations in the company. And, and use that uh, leadership team to, to really roll out the, the strategy. Then it is about the processes, so that not every time do you have to rely on, will I remember to think about sustainability when I make this decision? But it is in the process that the process sort of gives you a checklist almost like, okay, and the impact on the environment is this, you know, calculate the CO2 emissions, so that it, it, is, it becomes uh, automatic. And then finally, all employees need to be on it. And, and one of the most powerful ways of doing that is through uh, rewarding systems. 
So at Finnair, uh, we have two sustainability targets. We have uh, in our incentives, we have all together five targets for everybody from management to, um, to every employee. And we have three, um, three uh, financial targets, and then we have two sustainability targets, one on uh, emissions and one on employee safety. And that starts steering. That's, that's part of the automation as well. Then it's on everybody's agenda because it is in your targets, your bonus depends on it. I'm just gonna jump over that. Uh, we work on wide variety of sustainability issues, absolutely. Um, we, we were arrogant enough when we were doing the, the sustainability strategy to, to decide that, yeah, we're gonna be great at everything. And, uh, and, uh, and I sort of stand behind that still because due to, um, due to our strong history, due to the fact that we are uh, based in the Nordics, um, that we have strong government ownership, we are, we are already a very sustainable company and we're doing a lot of things right, but we still have to actively work on it so that we stay on that. It's, it's always a moving target. So we sort of decided, these are examples only, but we've decided that in any given aspect of sustainability, we always want to be in the top quartile of airlines. No exception. Everything needs to be on the top quartile. And then we're going to build a little bit of competitive advantage on one thing, and that's going to be climate. And that's also, like I said, that's the biggest, um, biggest um, sort of expectation from the, the stakeholders, apart from customers. So I don't know if we can, well, if this works, but I was, I was going to ask you a question on, on the, uh, the climate impact. That what do you think is the percentage of CO2 emissions, global CO2 emissions that is caused by airlines? I don't know if you can put any answers to Q&A or chat, maybe not. I'm not sure, Daniel, how this works. Yeah, um, sorry, yeah, I, I see Yoni's answering, for it, but yeah, okay, maybe, maybe we'll get a few answers in the yeah, QA. You guys are too good, two percent uh, was guessed, and two percent is exactly right. Um, typically, when I ask this question, I, I get anything from five to 20, so you're much more informed than, than most audiences that I talk to. So yeah, it's 2%, two, 2%, but that's only CO2. There are other emissions as well. And, and the impact of those we understand uh, a little bit less at the moment, um, but, uh, but we're hoping that as the science progresses, we, we will get a handle of that as well and can st start working on those. But, uh, but it is, 2% is small if you compare it to the coverage that we're getting in the media, for example. If there's an article on uh, global warming, there's a picture of a plane there, always. Not always, but you know. So we get a lot of coverage. We're, we're like the poster child of uh, climate change. So in that way, 2% is small, but in absolute terms, it's still huge. It is a huge amount of CO2 that we need to, need to, need to improve. So the industry in, as a whole has decided that uh, it will cut its emissions by half by 2050. And, uh, and I would imagine that they're going to tighten that up a little bit, I hope. And the reason why I think they're going to tighten it up is that the companies, individual companies are doing much more ambitious work. So 
Finner has decided that we're going to be carbon neutral at the latest by 2045 and we're going to do the first 50% by 2025. And the reason why we do it in a kind of a funny way that it takes us five years to do 50% and then 20 years to do the, the rest is that we wanted to have a really strong crash start for two reasons. First of all, need to do it, need to act fast, just from the environmental perspective. And the second was that you can't get people engaged around 2045. Then it's just like, yeah, I'm not going to be in this company anymore. I'm going to be retired. And you know, then it becomes like, yeah, tomorrow, tomorrow, next year. But 25 is like, it's here and we need to get busy. And that has been really good. We talk internally, we talk much more about 25 than we talk about 45. And that's all inspirational and, and great, but, uh, but that doesn't really, um, really take us anywhere yet. Then you have to really break it down so that people, people can, um, people can um, sort of find themselves in that, in that inspirational ambition. And this is mostly what we do. So the biggest CO2 emission um, for us is clearly, clearly the emissions from flying. And it's very simple math. It is how many kilometers do we fly? How much energy to, times how much energy we use times the CO2 content of that energy minus compensation. And we work on all of these. And there's, I mean, these are examples. There's, uh, especially in the energy box, there is probably like a hundred different initiatives at the moment that we work on. And uh, like I said, I came on a, on a special flight here yesterday. So we, we, did, um, we did sort of a demo flight where we really looked at this formula and try to do everything perfect. So we were looking at, um, we were working together with air traffic um, or fin traffic, which is, um, which is the, the company that uh, sort of controls the, uh, the airspace. So uh, we were working with them to make sure that we can fly as straight as possible from Helsinki to Kittila. And, and we did, we came like a bullet. Uh, on energy, we did everything that we could to reduce weight. We put a little bit less uh, water in the in the tanks. We uh, loaded a little less extra um, drinks. We um, we did a lot of different things that I don't understand half of in the in the cockpit and uh, during the um, during the flights. Um, so about a dozen different things happened in the in the cockpit during during the flight. Uh, we used biofuel. So we reduced the emissions by 35% by using, using the biofuel. And then the rest we compensated. So in that way, it was a net zero flight. And we wanted to do this to, uh, to sort of create ourselves a benchmark that this is what it could look like. And um, yeah, I mentioned weight. We're, we're completely obsessed with weight. We're, we talked about it, talk about it constantly. We have a Weight Watchers team in the in the company that is just looking at everything from the weight of a spoon to the paint that the airplane is painted on, uh, painted with, to the the carpets. Everything is measured in weight because every single kilo that we carry is fuel. And then with the volumes, it it gets it gets big. Um, so in 2045, this is how we, how we sort of see it. I put big working progress here because we're constantly recalculating that. But the aviation, new aviation fuels, biofuels, electrofuels are going to be, and electric flying eventually are going to be key, but then still compensations and other market um, measures will play an important role. 
um, I've been talking too long, but this is really important. You, you shouldn't look at, so when we're thinking about this, it's not a, it, climate is not a Finnair issue, right? It's not even a Finland issue. It is a global issue. So it's very important that you look at it globally as well. So, so let's say that if we flew uh, using maximum biofuel all the time, we would reduce our emissions. That, that would be great. Also, biofuel is three to five times more expensive than, um, than fossil fuels, which would mean that we would need to raise our prices so high that we would lose business. We would lose, I mean, this is hypothetical. We would die in two weeks if we used all biofuel on these prices, but, but even if we used like 10% of biofuel. So we would lose business. 50% of our business is between traffic between Asia and Europe. So if Finnair gets expensive, does that mean that then people don't travel and goods don't move between Europe and Asia anymore? It does not. It just moves to a different route. So then what we did was that we reduced Finnair emissions, we reduced Finland emissions while pushing those emissions to other parties and actually raising emissions totally. So Frankfurt, Hong Kong, for example, going through Finland is 25% um, less emissions than going via um, Doha, that is on the, on the map. So it's important to, to keep that big picture in mind and, and make sure that when you have companies that can perform in a sustainable, responsible way, can create shared value. This I would say is a shared value. The more we can push traffic on this short, most uh, efficient route, the better it is for the, for the environment. Because it, you know, the globe is, globe is <laughs> ball. So surprisingly, the, the shortest uh, route goes through, through Helsinki. Um, yeah, so this is, this is important, important to uh, take into consideration as well, that do not optimize your own part only and push emissions to, to somebody else. Um, so finally then, um, just trying to hurry a bit, just to think, on, on your own, if you want to have an impact on this as well. The biggest thing that you can, um, you can do is to, to choose the right airline, choose the right route. First of all, think if you need to travel, not all flights are necessary. Many flights are necessary for a variety of reasons, but not all of them. And then when you fly, choose who you fly with, what route do you take, and then pack light. That, that has a huge meaning. And also pre-order. People don't really think about that, but you know, when, when you don't pre-order your meal, then we have to guess what you're gonna take and we need to take sort of options. So we, we fly a lot of food that nobody eats that we need to burn at the, uh, at the end of the flight because you can't put it in a compost when it crosses uh, EU borders, for example. Um, but if you pre-order, then we have just this one, uh, one tray for you. So, so you can impact by your choices as well. So finally, very quickly about the pandemic. Uh, kind of came as a surprise. Um, WEF didn't see it as, as very likely in January 2020 because there were bigger things. There were you know, biodiversity, uh, extreme weather, 
that, that we were looking at very carefully as well, or are looking at very carefully as well. And then, then of course, uh, climate change. This was my favorite picture of 2020, the, the Blade Runner 2049 and, and San Francisco 2020. Um, so the pandemic was not expected because we were focusing on these other things. Interestingly, when it hit, we were still focusing on the other things. Typically, people have like one, um, one thought in, of one crisis in their mind or humanity has one crisis at the time. So it, it can be climate, it can be the financial crisis, it can be the migration crisis. But surprisingly, when the pandemic hit, climate didn't go away. I'm afraid it is because it's gone too far, far and, and that's the reason. But nevertheless, I'm very, very happy that there's this very um, sort of strong action around it. And, and everything is about building back better. And you know, when we come out of this pandemic, we've learned a few things. We can do things differently. We we need to be more ambitious in in our work, and we've shown that we can we can actually work together and we can we can act fast. Um, some learnings that um, that we had and and I had from during the the COVID and post COVID. First of all, strike a balance. Like I said, even more than ever, you have to think about all aspects of sustainability, environmental, but also the social and economic sustainability. Be a partner. <clears throat> so big problems, big solutions. You need to be able to partner with your competition across industries, uh, with the NGOs, with politicians, because that's the only way that you can really create innovation. And you need to go into these partnerships with, with really an open heart because there's no innovation and there's no collaboration without trust. So we really need to start trusting ourselves and not, not to always see competition as, you know, taking something away from you. Sometimes it can be about, you know, bake a bigger cake rather than, than fight for the slices, do something together. NGOs, like I said, I mean, they, they're fantastic and there's a lot of knowledge. Let's, let's listen to them. They're, they're not, uh, they're not there to make our life worse. They're trying to improve everybody's lives. And sometimes it's not easy to understand because we come from a different perspectives, but you know, they, they're, they're not all sort of militant activists and we're not the corporate devils either. So, so let's try to sort of meet each other on a level where we can actually create some trust and, and in that way find new solutions. And then finally, seize the moment. I mean, it's, un, it's said that uh, never let a good crisis go to waste. And I think that's, that's very, very important. We've, we've learned a few things during this pandemic that, uh, that we otherwise wouldn't have. I mean, we're, we're selling business class meals in supermarkets. We brought the blueberry juice um, to the supermarkets. We flew uh, virtual flights to Lapland with Santa over Christmas. Um, we have planes where we've taken the seats out and we're carrying cargo up top, up top when people don't travel, but still things need to travel. So it's really sparked this innovation and really this can-do attitude that, okay, we need to find ways that we make a little bit of money so that we can know if we sell this business class food here, we can still keep these two cooks uh, employed. And, and we, there's this fantastic sort of sense of, um, yeah, innovating together in the company. And that, that has been brought by this, this uh, crisis, not despite of it.
So, so there's, uh, there's an upside. Another thing that's um, sort of seizing the movement that uh, has been kind of interesting is that now we can do certain things that we couldn't otherwise, like the, per like the flight that I mentioned yesterday. It would have been very, very difficult to do if we had the normal traffic, because now we could do things manually, uh, we could uh, sort of do things a little bit different at the, at the airport, for example, the sky was clear, there wasn't anybody else there. So, so we can now, now test uh, some, some things that otherwise would be a little bit difficult to, to test and pilot. So that has been really, really important. And then finally, in many industries, certainly for aviation, but I think many others as well, uh, restaurants, uh, retail, e-commerce, um, heavy industries, there are changes coming. When we are out of this pandemic, the world is not going to be the same. So you should use this moment to make sure that your company sees the trends, understands what's happening, and takes those elements, sustainability for sure being one of those, and build a company that when we're back on track is strong and is ready to take on, uh, on the competition and be competitive in the, in the new world and with the, with the new expectations from the, the stakeholders. So we, we've had a reset, so it's, it's a perfect time to, to build back better. And with that, I will thank you. And I, I'll turn it back to Daniel. Okay, thank you very much, Anna. It's very interesting and encouraging to hear the steps spinners taking towards sustainability. So now we'll move to our discussion time. Excited for that. So everyone, you can put your questions in the Q&A box that, we, um, that you have for Anne. See, there's already a few, that's great. And I'll pass it off to Vilma, Isabel, and Susanna for the Q&A. Yes, thank you, Anne, for your insightful presentation. Uh, my name is Susanna, and I will now continue with the Q&A part of this session. So our first question is, um, what have been some of the most important projects that Finner has implemented for sustainability? Um, the, the most important project for sure was just the, the target setting. It was, uh, it was a very, very sort of detailed and, and, um, and a hard workload, but it's, to me, it's really difficult to engage others on any kind of journey on, on uh, working on sustainability on any level, unless it's very clear to everybody that what, what are we aiming to do? What, are, what, is, what is our common goal? And then sort of the solutions to reach that goal, there can be 10 or 100 or 1000 different ways to reach, it, reach the goal, but it's important that you really take the time in the beginning to make sure that there is a goal that is inspirational. It is achievable, but it needs to be difficult. It needs to be a little bit like, yeah, if we get this, we're going to be the best in the world because nobody wants to be sort of pretty good. It's very hard to inspire people to be sort of sustainable. You have to sort of put yourself out there and, and you know, do your math and do your research that can you really also get there but then, you know, push, push, push to, to be as ambitious as possible, because then, then things will start to, to uh, sort of fall in place. So that I would say is probably the most important that we, thing that we did. Uh, second thing that I would mention is this Articles of Association, because it's there, it's not, it's not getting out of there. 
it, um, it, is, um, it is a very strong tone from the top and it is something that will be with us. I mean, we're gonna be 100 years old uh, in 23. So we're building now the next 100 years and the, and the Articles of Association change is part of that. Yes, thank you very much for your answer, Anne. And now my colleague Isabel will continue with the next question. Hello, Anne. Uh, so one of the questions that we have is, uh, is it challenging to get partnerships for sustainable collaboration initiative? Uh, no, no, not today. Everybody's, um, everybody, all the big companies, especially, they, they, have, uh, they have their goals. And once you sort of find the ones that have similar goals, it's, it's quite easy to, to find partners. Like, the, like yesterday, it was done in collaboration with, um, with FinTraffic, but uh, because it was, um, it was covered in the, in the biggest newspapers and, and so on, we already have several different companies approaching us and saying like, hey, we could, we could sort of contribute to that as well. The Finnish Meteorological Institute is saying like, yeah, but you know, weather data, maybe we could part of this as well. I mean, we work with them already, but everybody's like ready to get closer and see that, what can we do? How can we share data more efficiently and, and so on? So I, I would say, yeah, it's, it's easy nowadays because everybody is, is sort of getting on the, on the same track. It's just, you have to make sure that then something real comes out as well and not just, uh, not just discussions. Thank you so much for your answer. It's really encouraging to know that people is able to collaborate and uh, that in today's world, people is able to see sustainability as a really important subject. Now I'll pass you to my colleague. Yes, so our next question is, um, what are the main steps that FINNA is taking to preserve its sustainability goals during and after the COVID pandemic? Yeah, we, we're doing what we, what we did. So like I said in the beginning, we had the discussion that can we, can we stick to this plan? <clears throat> and, and we came into a conclusion that yes, we have to stick to this plan. Um, obviously there are some, uh, some changes um, that are, are due to the, the fact that we're, we're sort of shoveling 2 million euros uh, every day. <laughs> out of the window, if you, if you will. So we're making 2 million euro losses almost every day. So that of course has an impact. We only have 20 to 25% of people working with us. The, the rest are, are furloughed or, or had to leave the company already. So, so that has impact on the, on the timelines. But overall, we haven't uh, changed the targets. So we're, we're moving forward as, as before. Yes. I'm listening to you, but while you speak, I'm going to get my charger, otherwise I'm, my computer is going to die. But go okay. ahead. <laughs> no worries. Yeah, so thank you for the answer and um, I'll hand it over to Isabel again. Isabel. Yes, okay. So the next question is, how do you think air travel will change after we come out of the pandemic? Yeah, that's a, that's a super interesting question. It, I, don't, I don't think anybody, anybody really knows. Starting from the, the discussion that um, is flying going to be more or less expensive. There are certain people that, uh, that think that it's going to be less expensive because there's, um, there's overcapacity on the market. The, the competition is going to be brutal. It always was, but now, now even more. Um, there are certain uh, 
uh, people that think that yeah it's going to be more expensive because there's going to be uh, new restrictions and and so on and and then of course sustainability uh, demands um, make it more expensive for airlines to to offer this service so that's that's one thing <coughs> that's um, that we're we're sort of looking at some changes i'm sure some of the learnings that uh, that we have from during the pandemic are, are going to stay there, like remote working, for example. So I, I think companies were already looking at, um, at their business travel very carefully, and this has made them do more so. Um, so business travel likely is going to take longer to recover. And we see that there's, there's sort of this pent-up demand then for leisure travel. People are really hoping that they could travel again, so, so that might uh, recover faster. But then that is then depending on the, on the pricing, of course. Um, personally, I think one trend is here to, to stay, and that's going to be people sort of uh, combining maybe work and, work and, and leisure. So maybe you go to to the Pyrenees for, for three months to work remotely and, and you know, engage in your hobby or, or whatever. And that is both your work trip and your, your um, leisure travel for the year. So it might be that people are going to, to travel fewer times, but then on longer periods. Like now when I'm up here north, it's, this is full of people that are here to work. So they're not gonna fly to Lapland every second week but uh, but they came here after christmas and and they're still here so that that's going to be something that i believe in that it's going to be less trips but they're going to be longer trips and there's going to be a lot of this combining of uh, remote work and and sort of travel in terms of sort of experiencing new cultures and and um, and really getting sort of embedding yourself in a new new environment which was a travel trend anyway. People were not so interested in seeing the, the Eiffel Tower. I saw a research where people were asked that, what, what would be the, the best experience on your travels? And, and most mentions were to, um, to uh, being invited to somebody's home for dinner. So that's what people, people are looking for. And it's a great way to, to work in a different country than you actually get to know people and, and so on. And we've learned this remote work now. Some people like it. I personally, I'm, I'm not a remote person, but a lot of people are better at it. Yeah, it seems like a great opportunity also for Finner uh, to explore new possibilities, as you just said. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Now my colleague will ask you another question. Yes. Um, so our next question is, um, as young professionals, what tips would you give us for implementing sustain sustainable positioning in our employers? Um, yeah. Make friends uh, with the CFO office. That's, that's number one. Make sure that you have somebody uh, on the finance side. Um, work with people in strategy, uh, work with people in HR, employee engagement, and in technology, depending on the sector. So that is, uh, that is the best way to, to uh, sort of forward the sustainability agenda is, you know, talk to everybody, make sure that uh, everybody understands what you're trying to do and, and you understand what they're trying to do. 
have this dialogue to um, to really push it into what they do every day and they want to do it every day. So just collaboration is is key. And I would uh, yeah start with the CFO office. That's uh, that's a good place to start. Yes, thank you so much for the tips. I'm sure those will come in handy in the future. Um, and now I'll, we'll pass it on once more to Isabel and she will ask the last question from our side before we pass it on to the audience. Yes, so, okay, well, uh, we have seen that in the chat there has been some questions. We still encourage people to make other questions while uh, Anne and I keep up with the conversation. So, Anne, in your experience, uh, well, you have said some already, but what has been some of the difficulties on implementing sustainability strategies? Mm. Sort of different, uh, different difficulties at different times. In the beginning, it was very much just, uh, you know, getting your voice heard. When I said that we were called girls, I, I meant that literally. I've had a, my, I've had a boss who asked me in a team meeting that when we were doing a round table what has everybody been doing this week and then he looked at me and said what about the expensive girl stuff so that was a difficulty just to be taken seriously that this is something that is is important but uh, but now there's um there's no difficulty in that now nowadays i sometimes feel that uh, that people get super excited about it so that the biggest challenge is almost sort of keeping everything in check and keeping this coherent remember this sort of elegant line throughout the, the, the company that everybody's doing the same thing and everybody's sort of running in the same direction because everybody wants to run and everybody wants to make the world better but make sure that you can harness that energy and that innovation to, to work for that one particular goal or your, your set of goals, whatever it is. So that I would say is the, is the biggest challenge right now. Okay, thank you. That's really encouraging also that you give us this tip to uh, like fight for what we want and uh, for our environment. So now uh, we will proceed with the questions in the Q&A. So I will pass the floor to Wilma. And thank you, Anne, for your comprehensive presentation. So I will uh, go through a few questions from the Q&A, but I also want to let the audience know that if they want, they can use the raise hand sign and ask the questions themselves. So the first one is from Yoni. So do you want to name the most important stakeholders or institutional uh, pressures that are behind the emission targets? And what is the role of financial institutions and reduction targets on the transition risk in their portfolios? Uh, to, to the last question, the role is huge. Uh, financial institutions have sort of woken up the past, <clears throat> past couple of years. I think it was <clears throat> maybe four years ago when, uh, when the BlackRock CEO wrote his letter to the CEOs and, <clears throat> and he had like completely changed his tone. <clears throat> Sorry, um, and and he started talking about sustainability. So that was some kind of a uh, some kind of a turning point for financial industry. But it took a couple of more years to to really trickle down. And and, and the past couple of years, uh, the the financial sector has really woken up, and that is going to make a huge difference because the demands from them, in terms of how we report, what we report. Um, 
how, where do we or how do we do our sort of risk mitigation uh, risk planning what kind of scenarios do we have so the demands are are i would even say that it's uh, some of them are are even even confusing <laughs> there are <clears throat> there are so many frameworks out there that uh, that we should be replying to and and ratings and and all this but uh, but overall the the role of financial institutions is is huge they're putting a lot of pressure on companies now and that's that's great uh, our biggest owner is the Finnish state so obviously that that is a super important stakeholder for us and um, and minister Tupuranen has publicly stated that she also has the expectation that Finnair will stick to their targets also during and after the pandemic. So there you go. The biggest owner says you have to do it, so no need to discuss. So though, I hope that answered the question. So the uh, stakeholders, financial stakeholders, super important. Pretty well. So the next question. Uh, many people, including some politicians, for example, Sweden, uh, applied an airport tax and activities are framing aviation as a major contributor to climate change. How can and does Finnair combat this discourse? Um, with data, we're trying to, to collect as much data and really understand and, and share that data as much as possible. It's not always, um, this is a topic that for, for some people is is very emotional topic and, and it's very hard to have a discussion with emotions on one side and, and data on the other. So it doesn't always work, but that's that's how we try to uh, handle the discourse. We, we just try to understand better and better and, and engage with research institutions and, and so on, just to, uh, just to make sure that uh, that um, we know what we're talking about and also we share our data very openly we you know on the flight yesterday if you want to take a look at it i tweeted during the flight and we were really you know we were telling what we were doing we showed that this is how much fuel we're going to put in the in the the plane and and this is you know this is sort of the impact of it so yeah, it doesn't always work, but I, I think that is the best way. It's just uh, yeah, keep to keep to the facts, keep to the data, be as open as possible. Thank you. Uh, and now it's the time for the audi audience. If they want, they can raise their hands and ask the questions by themselves. But if not, I will continue with the questions from the Q and A. So if you want to raise your hand, now is the time to do that. Okay, so let's continue with the questions from the Q&A. There is a very uh, long one. So uh, Joseph is asking, why is there such a disparity between the media coverage of airlines seemingly being one of the biggest polluters than actual reality? Obviously more uh, can be done in the airline industry and it is, but it seems the biggest contributors are the Dutchies behind the airline industry. Uh, how can we change this perception, especially since Kuka has told us um, how vital the airline industry is not, is, not only to the economy, but also many other sectors, be it directly or indirectly? Mm. 
Yeah, I. <clears throat> it's difficult to difficult to say, but you know, once something starts, you know, when somebody made us a poster child, then it's just everybody just continued. I I think that's that's part of the the discussion. Another another thing is that. Um, textile industry, for example, is is responsible for a lot more, um, lot bigger percentage of emissions than aviation is. But everybody wears clothes, but not everybody flies. Actually, very few people in the in the world fly, and um, and there's um, you know most of the emissions are created by an even smaller part of that elite that flies. So so there's a little bit of a political thing there as well. Also, people have a little bit of a misconception on, on flying. I mean, we get a lot of media where it's like, you know, these people are just flying around the world and, you know, but if your platinum card customers would stop flying, you would, you know, you would save this and this much emissions. But typically the people that fly most, they fly for work. Very few people, you know, there's no jet set anymore as they, they were maybe in the 70s, but uh, but people fly for reasons, but that's not maybe always seen, and that uh, that sort of creates that fallacy that uh, it is something very frivolous and and doesn't need to be there. So so that um, you know this is my speculation. Maybe that is why it has been lifted up so so high. And again, um, Joseph, you are asking that uh, how can we change this perception? I would answer again, data. We just have to get the facts out. Yeah, thank you, Anne. Because of the time limit we have, I will next let Isabel continue with the questions so we can uh, go through the all. Yes, so one of the questions here asks, um, that okay it says that you highlight their role of partnerships to make change and do you see Finner doing that not only in the aviation industry but in other industries for example by using uh, some partnerships and things like this uh, yeah absolutely sort of industries that are close to ours uh, fuel is a is a fantastic example so we we partner with neste who is uh, who is very active in not only producing biofuel, but also engaging in future research. Uh, also, we are, we are uh, participating in a, in a super interesting um, program of uh, Power2X to, power to uh, fuel with the La Peranda University of Technology, where they create fuel out of CO2 and, and um, hydrogen. And that, that is, it's mind-blowingly cool that you could do a sort of a, a zero emission fuel out of a factory chimney and uh, and you know byproduct from a, a chemicals industry so so yeah we we try to partner across uh, industry borders it's a little bit new for us we're good at partnering within the industry we have like the alliances like the one world and so on we're good at that but we're more and more reaching outside to um to to sort of really look at our total role in society. Okay, thank you so much for your answer. One of the other questions that I find really interesting here, uh, it says, uh, if you are planning to help distributing the COVID vaccine? 
uh, we are ready to do that. Uh, in terms of who distributes what, there's a lot of a uh, lot of sort of secrecy around it for for uh, obvious reasons. So I don't think you you would find anywhere very uh, clear answer to to which airlines and which routes are are carrying vaccines. But uh, but we are able to do that. So we have um, we have sort of the uh, the capabilities for uh, for the temperatures and and so on. What we do a lot is that we um, we transport a lot of uh, masks, uh, tests, and and other sort of uh, protective equipment. So that's um, we do a lot of that traffic from um, from Asia to to Europe at the moment. Okay, thank you so much for your answer. Um, I will put my camera on. Uh, so one other question that we have here is what are the main obstacles, for example, the actors, the forces, the practical uh, practices, sorry, and thinking partners uh, in becoming more sustainable and how to overcome them? The, the main obstacle right now is, is uh, Corona, but um, otherwise, um, Yeah, it's it's more like it's more like it's not so much obstacles as it is um, maybe different speeds. I think most most uh, players are 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 sort of playing to the same goal, but but we might be moving at uh, at different different speeds. And then then in terms of sort of practices, it is. I mean, especially in older companies, you always have quite a lot of legacy. You're very, very sort of used to doing in one certain way, and then then it might take take some uh, take some effort to change that that uh, sort of set way. Um, yeah, I think that's that's probably the the most. Uh, most uh, important sort of factor that slows progress down is that we've always done it in a certain way we need to make a lot of changes in in terms of, or before we can make sustainability projects or practices a norm it's just uh, yeah organizations tend to be a little slow but again like i said it, the pandemic has been the you know the silver lining on this nuclear cloud is that uh, that it has forced us to be quicker and and um, more innovative and i hope that will will carry after this as well yes thank you so much for your answer it really gave us details on uh, what are the main actors and what is happening right now uh, so now i will pass the uh, questions to wilma she will continue uh, with the ones that the Mm, the people here in the webinar have asked. So we have a few questions left uh, on the Q&A. So one of them is like, uh, what challenges does Finnair face for implementing sustainability, especially for social challenges? Most of our challenges are not really on the social side. Like I said, uh, on social sustainability, we see that we have that shared value approach. It's something that we can we can contribute to. Um, but 
having said that, uh, in our strategy, as you saw, gender equality is is uh, still an issue. We're, we're pretty okay. We're about 50-50 in the company. If you look at the company managers, again, we're 50-50. So, so that's pretty good. But then there are these pockets. So if you, if you go to the airplane, it's kind of men in the front, women in the back, right? The captains are typically men, and then the cabin crew is typically women. And, and that's where we want to, uh, want to mix things up a little bit. Also, like in any company, very sort of, uh, I guess it's a little stereotypical, but like communications is women. I've never seen a male assistant in my life, except for in TV once in a Friends episode. That's, that's the only male assistant. So, or mechanics, there we have hardly any women. So it's, uh, we still have these pockets where we're, we're trying to be better. And then, then uh, the, sort of the next step from that is that once we get, the, um, once we get uh, like a good grasp on, on the gender equality and we get really, really good processes in place, then we're hoping that we can use those or sort of like extend those pro processes to other uh, diversity aspects as well, be it age, um, nationality, whatever, so that we would have some processes ready that, for example, in recruiting, even if we create the process to, to sort of, from the gender perspective, we could use it also for these other, other aspects. So equality is, um, is very much on our, top, on our agenda, even though we think we're good, we're, it, well, you know, we're okay. We're not, we're not bad. And again, we're on the, on the upper quartile compared to other, other airlines. Um, I have to tell you this, there was a, I'm not going to say the name of the airline, but uh, it was actually in a, in a newspaper where I heard, where I read um, a chairman of a board of an airline saying that um, they were looking for a new CEO and they had asked him that, could he, could he see a woman being a CEO of his airline? And he said that, um, that women are very capable of doing the jobs that men can do, but not really the real difficult ones like running an airline. So compared to that, we're fantastic on gender equality. But, uh, but yeah, we need to improve there, there as well. And then of course, now the big social challenge for us is, is the fact that, uh, that our people are not working. We're doing everything we can to get them back to work from their furloughs. But it is a huge social challenge that how do we treat the employees that have to leave the company? And how do we treat the employees that are still with the company, but they're sitting at home waiting for that call to come back to work? So that is, that is a huge challenge at the moment. Yes, thank you, Anne. So we have time for a couple more questions. And the next one is, what about the concept of greenwashing? How to recognize it when working with sustainability and find out whether the desire to become sustainable is sincere, uh, sincere and how to move from mere talk to action? Yeah, I think there used to be a lot more greenwashing or whitewashing or rainbow washing. And, and you know, there was a lot of talk, but that has changed quite a bit. There, it's, it's partly because companies are required to report on such detailed level that it would be, it would be really difficult to greenwash nowadays, I think. Um, 
because of the legal requirements, but also because people are much more active. It's not just the, the NGOs that are looking at us, but it is everybody, it is our customers. So if we start telling one story and then the customer experiences our service and sees another story, you know, that greenwash lasted for, for half a second. So because companies are more transparent, be it because they want to be more transparent or they're forced to be more transparent, that is that is the, the best insurance against greenwashing. Of course, it still happens, but I'm just saying that um, not not very many companies do it because, well, it's not the right thing to do. But also, if you happen to be sort of a Mr. Burns type of CEO, you probably still wouldn't do it because you know that you're going to get caught. So, um, yeah. But, you know, companies can be a little, a little creative with their wordings and, and so on, but, uh, but in terms of what we report, what we do, the numbers that we give out, yeah, I, I would pretty much trust uh, companies, companies um, to, to, to walk the talk on those. Then in terms of ambition, how real those are, that that is hard to say. And that's why you need the targets. And that's why you need to communicate your goals so that people can follow up that, okay, you said that you want to be carbon neutral, fine. So what are your steps? What's your roadmap? Let me know. Okay, so 50%, 25. Okay, well, I expect you to report every year where you are on that journey. And I expect you to hit that target because you said it. So, um, so we have a, a great sparring partner in the, in the general public as, as well as then the, um, the closer stakeholders yes um so thank you for your answer and uh, we have one more um question that we can have uh, we can still facilitate so um uh, how do you evaluate the sustainability achievements that have been reached so far um, especially during the pandemic time um yeah like i said we have um we are um sort of using two uh, key performance indicators also as part of our our incentive schemes so so we uh, we calculate um something called fuel efficiency index that basically makes sure that uh, because we know that our emissions are going to grow when the traffic grows the emissions are going to grow but we need to make sure that if the traffic grows like this then the emissions are going to grow like this so that we, we will never get to the same level as we, we were before. So we, that, that is a, a KPI that we follow very, very, very closely. Another one is then um, long time injury frequency. And it's kind of the same way or same logic like with the, with the fuel efficiency index. And that, that is to, you know, again, when the traffic grows, when we get busier, we are not going to do that at the expense of our our employees safety so we're not we're going to be busier but we're going to make sure that the that sort of the safeguards and the processes are are there and that we keep um keep uh, sort of concentrating on on the right ways to do things so those um those achievements are the key ones that we we measure across the the board Okay, thank you. And we have one more question from the audience from Yenny. Yenny, can you turn your mic on now? Yeah, I guess it works. 
Go Does ahead. it? <laughs> yes, we yeah. can hear you. Okay. All right. That's great. Thanks. So you mentioned the NESTEC collaboration earlier. And uh, do you see that the relationship with NESTE is sort of mutually beneficial? Because when you think of Finner's perspective, NESTE gives legitimacy and uh, sort of support to the sustainable aviation industry. And uh, on the other hand, if you think of NESTE's perspective, is Finnair then like supporting the biofuel industry and giving legitimacy for that? And uh, I was wondering if this would be an example of the systemic sustainability transition taking place between industries. Yeah, no, that's a that's an excellent question. I I would hope hope it to be a two way street. It is a it's kind of nice that uh, that we have a company like Neste in in Finland. So you know because it's it's easy easy when you have two big companies in a small country. It's easy for us to collaborate. And um, and yes, I mean we have really good discussions. It's not only that uh, that they sell us fuel. But we we also have discussions on how do we move this industry forward. It's it's a huge customer for them as well, aviation. So how do we move this forward in a way that um, that is sustainable? Uh, we we talk about um, the feedstock. What is without sort of the, the raw materials that they use to to um, produce the biofuel? We have our demands. They have they have uh, sort of their offer, and and we have those discussions. Um, a lot of background noise. I'm I'm sorry about that. Okay, thanks for waiting. Um, and um, and then of course the the future. What what are the the power sources in the in the future? And how can how can you make fuel? And companies like Nest are, are super important for us on that one. I mean, obviously, electric flying is is extremely interesting and innovative, and and it's a lovely topic. But that's going to be little ways in the future, and and you know airplanes live for a long time. We're just dismantling an airplane, uh, just uh, so she retired, and now she's going to be picked up for for pieces and and recycled and reused. And that plane flew something like thirty three thousand flights, so we use them for a long time, and that means that um, as soon as there is you know electric flying we're not going to change our whole fleet. So we need solutions that work with the existing infrastructure, that work at the existing airports and their big tanks and the, the planes and, and their engines there. And Nesta is one of the one of the companies that is very, very sort of uh, actively looking into these liquid fuels from different uh, sort of different uh, raw materials to create almost the same same product. And that is a, that is a process where where we want to be want to be uh, participating in and, and are happy to to um, partner with uh, with Nesta. I'm not sure uh, if I answered your question now. Yeah, I was like generally interested in this Nesta collaboration, and thank you yeah. for uh, enlightening that a bit. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, yesterday when we flew that uh, that flight, we we didn't actually have biofuel on board, but it's it's this book and claim uh, system that you do. You buy the biofuel, but it's not in your 
in your plane, but you can you can sort of claim the uh, emission reduction on that, which is very very widely used, and it's a good system, and it's thoroughly audited and all that. But in the future, with the partnership from Neste, now we can uh, actually get the actual biofuels in our planes from the Helsinki airport, and that's it's nicer. It's a it's a cleaner and more simple system. It's it's a huge amount of paperwork this book and claim, so that uh, everybody can make sure it's legitimate. So it's it's going to be fantastic to. Uh, to continue with Neste on that. Yeah, amazing. Thanks. Okay, Anne, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, we have to close now, but I wanted to especially say that we are really sorry to hear what is going behind uh, the COVID pandemic because we understand uh, being in that position in the tourism is really hard and all the effort that you and the company is doing to keep being uh, sustainable will really highlight that and it's really uh, insightful for us to know that you guys are trying to keep on that so thank you yeah unfortunately we are out of time but thanks so much again everyone for attending our leadership for change lecture today and we hope you learned a lot and thanks so much on for your words of wisdom and your time Remember to look out for our blog post uh, for, for this lecture um, if you want to share it. And you can find that by searching for Tampere University Leadership for Change blog. And on March 26th would be our next Leadership for Change blog, uh, lecture with Ben LaRoth, who has been doing work in social justice. So everyone, hope you have a great day. And it was a great time having this lecture. Thank you very much. 98.4. Radio Moreni, Tampere University, Finland.